0: The two lovers peered out of the hotel bedroom window, smiling with glee, but each for a very different reason. The heavy snowfall that had been forecast for almost a week had finally arrived overnight and fat, thick flakes of the white stuff were still tumbling down this morning. A few cars, chains clanking, slithered up the narrow mountain road and others, parked outside the hotels, were now large white mounds. Everyone in the Smart Friends Ski Resort of Courcheville 1850 was relieved, the resort managers, the hoteliers, the restaurateurs, the seasonaires, the ski rental shops, the lift companies, and all the others who relied on the ski season for much of their livelihood. And, most importantly of all, the winter sporters themselves. After days of blue skies, searing sunshine, and melting snow, which meant treacherous ice in the mornings and slush and exposed rocks in the afternoons, finally the skiers and snowboarders, who had paid top money for their precious annual few days on the slopes, now had great conditions to look forward to. As Jodie Bentley and her elderly American fiancé, Walt, put on their skis outside the bootroom entrance of the Chabito Hotel, the falling snow-tickled exposed parts of their faces beneath their helmets and visors. Although a seasoned skier and powder hound, this was the financier's first time skiing in Europe, and he had been. Relying all week on his much younger fiancé, who seemed to know the resort like the back of her hand, to guide him. They skied down carefully in the poor visibility to the Bioli lift just a couple of minutes below the hotel went through the electronic turnstiles and joined the short queue to the chairlift a couple of minutes later clutching their ski poles the white chair scooped them up and forward walt pulled down the safety bar then they settled back snug in their cozy outfits for the 7 minutes it took for the lift to carry them to the top as they alighted the wind was blowing fiercely And without hanging around, Jody led the way down an easy red then blue run to the crosset, the central lift station for the resort. They removed their skis, and Walt, despite suffering from a prolapsed disc, insisted on carrying Jody's skis as well as his own up the ramp to the lift. As a red eight-seater, Gondola came slowly round, he jammed their skis into two off. The outside holders then followed Jody in. They sat down and pushed up their visors. They were followed by another couple and, moments later, just before the doors closed, a short man in his fifties clambered in after them, wearing a smart spider ski outfit and a flashy leather helmet with a mirrored visor. Bonjour, he said in a bad French accent. Then added, Hope you don't mind my joining you. He settled down opposite them as the gondola lurched forward. Not at all, Walt said. Jody smiled politely. The other two strangers, both busy texting on their phones, said nothing. A bien, vous parlez anglais. The stranger unclipped his helmet and removed it for an instant to scratch the top of his bald head. American, he said, pulling off his gloves, then removing a tissue from his pocket and starting to wipe his glasses. I'm from California, but my fiancée's a Brit, Walt said amicably. Jolly good. Beastly weather but the powder at the top should be to die for, the man said. Jody smiled politely again. Where are you from? she asked the south, Brighton, the stranger replied. Good lord, what a coincidence. So am I. Jody said. Small world, he muttered and suddenly looked uncomfortable. So what line of business are you in? Walt asked him. Oh, in the medical world. Just recently retired and moved to France. And yourselves? I have a group of investment trusts, the American replied. I was a legal secretary, Jody said. As the small gondola climbed, rocked by the wind, the snow was turning into a blizzard and the visibility deteriorating by the minute. Walt put his arm round Jody and hugged her. Maybe we shouldn't go too high this morning, who? Oh, it's going to be very windy at the top, he said. The powder's going to be awesome up there, she replied, and there won't be too many people this early. There are. Some really fabulous runs, trust me. Well, okay, he said, peering dubiously through the misted-up windows. Oh, absolutely, the Englishman said. Trust your beautiful young lady, and the forecast is improving. As the gondola reached the first stage, he waited politely for them to alight first. Nice meeting you, he said. Bye for now. The other couple, still texting, remained on the gondola. With Walt again insisting on carrying Jody's skis, they trudged the short distance to the cable car. Normally jam-packed, with skiers squashed together like sardines, this morning the huge cabin was three-quarters empty. Along with themselves, there were just a few diehards. Several boarders in their baggy outfits, to rugged-looking, bearded. Men in bobble hats, wearing rucksacks, who were sharing swigs from a hip flask, and a small assortment of other skiers, one wearing a GoPro camera on his helmet. Walt raised his visor. And smiled at Jody. She raised hers and smiled back. He removed a glove, jamming it between his keys, produced a chocolate bar from his breast pocket, and offered it to Jody. "I'm fine, thanks. Still stuffed from breakfast. You hardly ate anything." He broke a piece off, put the bar back in his pocket, and zipped it shut. Then chewed, peering out anxiously. The cable car rocked in the wind, then swayed alarmingly, causing everyone to shriek, some out of fear, others for fun. He put an arm round Jody again, and she snuggled up against him. Maybe we should get a coffee at the top and wait to see if the visibility improves, he said. Let's do a couple of runs first, my love, she replied. We will find some fresh powder before it gets ruined by other skiers. He shrugged. Okay. But he didn't sound particularly enthusiastic. He stared at her for some moments. You know, he said, you are incredible. Not many people can look beautiful in a helmet and visor, but you do. And you look every inch my handsome prince she replied. He tried to kiss her, but the top of his helmet bashed against her visor. She giggled, then leaned closer to him and whispered, too bad there is other people on here, running her gloved hand down his crotch. He squirmed. Geez, you're making me horny. You make me horny all the time. He grinned. Then he looked serious again and a tad nervous. He peered through a window into the blizzard, and the car yawed in the wind, then swung, almost throwing him off balance. You have your cell with you, ho?" he asked. Yes. You know, just in case we lose each other in this whiteout. We won't, she said, confidently. He patted his chest and frowned. Patted it again, then tugged open another zipper. Jeez, he said, and began to pat all over the front of his stylish black Bogner ski jacket. I can't believe it, how stupid. I must have left mine back in the room. I'm sure I saw you put it in your top right-hand pocket before we left, she said. He checked all over again, and his trouser pockets. Goddammit must have fallen out somewhere. Maybe when we were putting our skis on. We're going to stay close. Just in case we do get separated, then plan B is we both ski back down to the crosset and meet there. Just follow the signs for Corcheville 1850. It's well posted all the way. Maybe we should ski straight back down and go and check it's not lying in the snow outside the hotel. Someone will find it if it is, darling. No one's going to steal it, not at that lovely hotel. We would better go back down, I need it. I have a couple of important calls to make this afternoon. Okay, she said. Sure, fine, we will ski fast. Five minutes later the cable car slowed right down and a shadow loomed ahead. The car rocked from side to side, bumping against the buffered sides of the station, slowly sliding in, before stopping. Then the doors opened and they stepped out in their heavy ski boots, onto the gridded metal walkway. They shuffled along it, then carefully down the steps, and out into the ferocious blizzard, their faces stinging from snow as hard as hailstones. They could barely see a few feet in front of them, And the group ahead, ducking down and clipping into their boards, were little more than shadowy silhouettes. As they stood beside a sign mostly obscured with snow, Walt laid their skis down on the ground, kicked the ice away from the bottom of his boots, tapping them with his ski poles to make extra sure there were no lumps of snow stuck there, then stepped into his bindings and snapped them shut. As the silhouettes began to move away, Jody said, hang on a sec, darling, I need to clean my visor. Walt waited, turning his face away from the wind as best he could, while Jody tugged down one of her zippers, produced a tissue and wiped the inside of her visor, then the outside. This is horrible. He had to shout to make his voice hard. We are almost at the highest point in the whole resort, she said. As soon as we get off this ridge, we will be out of the wind. I hope you are right. Maybe we should start with something easy. Is there a blue run back down? I don't fancy anything too challenging in this golden visibility. There is, and it's lovely. There is one tiny steep bit to get into it. Then it'll be a glorious cruise. It's my favorite run. He watched the last of the silhouettes disappearing as Jody pulled her gloves back on, then stepped into her skis. Ready, she asked. Aha. She pointed to the right. We go down here. Are you sure? Everyone else has gone that way. He pointed in the direction that the others who had been in the cable car with them had taken. You want the hardcore black run-down or a gentle blue? Blue, he said emphatically. That crazy lot have all taken the black. She glanced over her shoulder and could just make out the cable car leaving the station for its return journey. It would be around 15 minutes before the next load of skiers arrived right now. They were alone. Blue, she said. Are you sure? I'm sure you'd cope with the black. Not in this visibility. Then we go this way, she said. I can't see any sign pointing this way, Ho. There must be a signpost up here, surely? With one ski pole. She began to brush away the fresh powder snow from the ground beside her. After a moment, tracks were revealed beneath it, frozen into the cruddy, icy surface beneath. See, she said. He peered at them. They led straight ahead for a couple of yards before disappearing into the swirling white blizzard. Looking relieved, he smiled. Clever girl. I will follow you. No, you go first in case you fall over. I can help you up. Just follow the tracks. Bend your knees and brace yourself, because the first 50 yards or so are a bit steep, then it levels out. Just let yourself go. She shot an anxious glance around her to make absolutely sure no one was watching. Okay, he said with a sudden burst of enthusiasm. Yeah. Goes. Yeehaw! He launched himself forward on his poles, like a racer out of the gate, and whooped again. Yeehaw! Then his voice turned into a terrible scream. Just for one fleeting second before it was swallowed by the wind. Then silence. Jodi turned round, then pushing with her poles, headed off in the direction all the other skiers had taken oblivious to the wind and the stinging snow on her cheeks.